if some of you weren't here last week, this is Randy Bishop from Texas, and uh, we're, we're glad to have you back again, brother, and uh, thank you for the worship time. And uh, today I'm going to be continuing talking about worship because we started last week, and it's okay to say thank you for the worship time, but it's not just about a certain time. Worship is something that is a lifestyle. Worship is something not just that we do, but it's, it's what the Father is seeking is those who worship in spirit and in truth. And so last week we were talking about how it's the spirit, it's your heart. Your heart is in a place of devotion. He doesn't want us going through empty motions or dry religion or empty duties. He wants a heart with devotion, with awe, with, with love welling up inside. That's that's the wonderful thing about the God that we come to worship, is he's a God of love. God is love. And uh, we could be in a lot worse situation. There are many false gods in this world. There are many idols that people bow down to in foreign countries, and they're burdened with uh, just terrible burdens of having to do all these works to justify themselves, and you can never be justified by works. It's the grace of God, it's the love of God that he wants us coming to him in love, just as his love never fails. He wants our love to be continually flowing to him too, and so that's spirit. And truth is your genuine walk with the Lord. It's not just something you do. It's not just that you go and do worship, do your, your, your punch clock for the week, and here I did my worship. No, we, we do talk correctly when we say we're going to worship, but worship is more than just the time we spend on Sunday. It's, it's our lifestyle, worship in spirit and in truth. Our, we should be walking as genuine believers and not saying one thing with our mouths and doing another thing in our, in our walks. So that's the truth. And also we talked about how it has to be according to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so you can have people out there that say a good word for God and think they have a relationship with him, but if they're not in the perfect, uh, performing the law perfectly and offering the sacrifice, they need a Savior. And nobody can live up to it. So it's one thing to say, I know the Lord, I love the Lord, and to be a good neighbor, and that's better than not knowing the Lord. It's better than not... Uh, you know, having thoughts towards him, but it's only through the blood of Jesus. It's only through a mediator, the Holy One, the divine Son of God, that he paid the price for us, that we, as faulty as we are, as messed up as we are, as unable as we are to live totally perfect and holy before God, who is perfect and holy and who can only have perfection and holiness, what hope do we have except that we need a Savior, and it's Jesus Christ. And so that's where we come in. We say, it's not me, it's him. And, you know, yeah, I just messed up there, but the Lord has paid for that too. And the Lord has covered my sin, made a way that we could worship. And that's the blessing that we, we come and celebrate every Sunday. We, we, we worship a God that receives us and accepts us, even when we sometimes don't receive and accept ourselves. So that's what we talked about. Worship is also worship. It's what you are ascribing worth to, what you're living for, what's driving you. And we really want to be driven by the idea that God is number one, God is tops, and everything else is secondary. Everything else, nothing else can compare. So God has made a way for us, and he loves the world so much that 
He sent his son to die for us, but he can't fellowship with us if we are not in a state of worship. And what does that mean? Today I want to talk about being in a state of worship in which you have fellowship, divine fellowship. Can we have fellowship with the living God? Yes, because he is the living God. We're not worshiping something that happened in the past and that it's over. But there is a presence of God through his Holy Spirit in which we can enjoy his presence. And through worship, not just when we sing and we come to church, but through a life of worship, a state of worship, we have the circuit connected to the living God. And that's how we communicate our love to him. But he also communicates our love to us. And he loves us. He loves the world. He gave the world his son. But he can't communicate his love in a form of fellowship unless we are connected to him in a state of worship. Well, think of it like this. You ever heard of a, a young man serenading a, a lady? Randy, you ever serenade someone with your guitar? You know, you see the movies, they, they go outside the window, throw the rock at the window, and they're playing the guitar and singing, and, and she comes out and she's just so impressed. And of course, it wouldn't happen with me. My voice gets in the way. But. Uh, the point is, is that she loves the guy, the guy loves the girl, and he's serenading her, and she's looking at him, blowing kisses and things like that. But if he's off serenade, serenading someone else, she may love this, this young man, but she can't make that communication to him. She's not receiving the right song. You know, he's, he's singing to someone else, and maybe her heart's breaking because he's going after someone else. But when he turns around and he's saying, you're all I want, and singing to her, then he's able to receive something from her, too, because it's in the giving of worship. You know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We do get blessed when we give. God is a giver, and we act like God when we give, and something happens that the fellowship comes in when we're talking about worship. So all this is about having a relationship, and, uh, you know, you can be a... A Christian and have a position of being a child of the Lord, but you don't have the presence of God unless you're worshiping. And you're, he, last week we talked about Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. There's something about the presence. God wants our presence. Why does he want my presence? I don't know. But something about that pleases him. And, of course, when we get his presence, that's the problem. We don't always get his presence because we don't place ourselves in position to receive that. We are positionally his kids, his children, but his presence is not affecting our lives because we're out serenading the wrong people or whatever. We're doing the things that are outside of it. But the idea is he wants our presence, and um, that's what makes the difference. So he seeks us out, and so we come. We find out that the Father seeks those to worship him in spirit and truth, and we come, just like they went to see Jesus in the manger, and they, they came to him. The shepherds went to him. The, the wise men went to him. But now he wants more than just us coming to him. You have to set your heart to begin with in a state of worship, but then he wants us to stay. He says, I will sup with him, and he will sup with me. I will dine with him, and he will dine with me. What happens when you're having a meal with someone? You linger, you stay, and you're enjoying a common thing together. 
And so it's amazing that the Lord actually not just tolerates us, but wants us to stay. And so the main uh, scripture I want to look at today is in John 15, verse 5. Jesus never gave instructions for how to do worship services, but he gave instructions that we might abide in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And we're going to talk about this, about abiding. Abiding means to remain, to stay, to continue. So we're talking about a state that you are like the branch plugged into the vine. You are receiving something from that vine. You are receiving the life sap from the vine. I know you're saying, now, brother, you're getting sappy. That's a dad joke for those of you who missed it. Um, no, sappy is happy because when you're getting the Lord's sap, life sap, it's his presence in you. And he wants us to be abiding. But the problem is, is that in our day, a lot of people will call themselves Christians. And I've read studies and scholars talking about things they've learned that people will say, yeah, the Christian faith is very important to me. And yeah, I agree with the, the Bible and that Jesus is Lord. But then it won't affect their daily life. They're, it's not affecting how they deal with relationships. It's not affecting how they work, how they play. They're, they, they do things contrary. And we saw this a lot when we were over in China. I worked with another missionary who, who uh, reached out to business people. And uh, he would say that these, these guys would be all alive on fire for the Lord, but then he'd hear that they're doing shady business transactions. And so when they were confronted with it, they say, well, yeah, that's just, that's just business. We just, that's just the way you do business. And he said, no, you, you've got to have the whole, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to let it integrate your entire life. You can't do things the way the world does them. And it was so hard to get that across. But it's not just in China. It's, it's happening here. And there are probably many that will go to church and do good and serve and everything like that. And then when it comes to business, well, this is just business. It can't be that way. We need to remain, stay. We, we need to be functioning, operating from the life sap of the vine. And uh, when you abide, you are in a state of worship. You're not compartmentalizing things. And why do we need, why does the Lord have it this way? It says right there, because it bears much fruit. How many of you don't want to have fruit in your life. We want to bear fruit, but it's, it's what's, what are you bearing fruit? You're being affected by a relationship with God. You're being given the righteousness of Jesus Christ to empower you to live for him, and you're able to let it affect you. Let it affect you as you do business, as you do relationships, as you work and play and you're at school. And one of the cultural experts, he said that a lot of people just see that uh, the Christian faith is something they do from time to time, not someone they are all the time. And so that would be a good summary of what I'm saying about remaining, staying, not compartmentalizing the faith. It's not something I do from time to time on Wednesday night or Sunday morning. It's who I am all the time. And that means who I am when I'm all alone and nobody's around. You know, where do my thoughts go? What do I do? And, that's, and, and you say, well, now you're putting some 
some pressure on me. No, because here's the thing. It is for the blessing. It's much fruit, and it's more than that. It's for fellowship. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, he says, We are called, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, fellowship is a blessing. Whenever you meet someone that you get along with, and that you're in sync with, you know how to talk about the same things, you have the same interests, you have the same agendas, and it's just like you can meet someone and if you, you can feel like you've known them all your lives because you're in sync. That's what we're talking about, fellowship. And when you're in sync, it's, it's you're abiding in Jesus, but he is also abiding in you. You're getting power from this fellowship, from his presence, but he's also giving his presence to you. And it changes your life. When you are in fellowship, you are receiving the, the communication of his love for you. You're receiving what he wants, and you're saying, I'm a partner. I'm participating with God. And that's what fellowship really means. The Greek word for fellowship means partnership and participation. So, you know, who do you want to partner with? Who do you want to participate with? Do you, you know, let's go to the top of the chain. We can go look for the most important person in the world and say what an honor it would be to partnership and, and participate with this person. This is a very important person, but we're going past even the, the greatest person that we can think of in human life. In fact, when you think about it, it's amazing that we can be called into fellowship with the top of the chain, the highest one. Because I thought about this, who would you want to have a relationship with? If you could go back anywhere in history, somebody you really admire, and you know, we'd all say Jesus, right? But let's say outside of biblical characters, you know, who's an admirable person in history that you'd want to meet? Some people might want to meet Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. Probably more people would want to meet Elvis Presley or something. No, no. <laughs> no, I don't know. But whoever you'd want to meet, you know, you can go back. You can't do it, for one thing. But you can know the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. I can know a lot about Abraham Lincoln. If I read the textbooks and study the history, I can learn a lot about. And the same thing goes with Jesus Christ. You can learn a lot about Jesus Christ, opening your Bibles, reading, doing your, your duties and prayers and things like that. But you can know him. It's not knowing about him. You can have fellowship with him. How? I can't get fellowship with Abraham Lincoln or Elvis Presley. Don't really want Elvis. Um, but, you know, I can get fellowship because the Bible, through his word, through the living word, in another place he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever and you will get what you ask for. How is that? Because the Word, this is a book that is full of seeds, living, living truth that brings the fellowship of God into our midst. And it's a relationship that affects us because it's all intertwined in, in an intimacy. And that's what fellowship is. There is an intimacy. It's like we have the same partnership, participation with each other. We have the same agenda, the same interest, the same purpose. I want to do your will, O Lord. And he changes our our hearts and in fact we're told in Psalm 37 4 that if you delight yourself in the Lord he will give you the desires of your heart how do I delight myself in the Lord and so 
fellowship is the answer. Well, how do you get fellowship? By abiding, by staying. You, you put on this mindset, this heart set, that I am in Christ, and he is in me. What a difference it would make when we face a situation if we can recall and remember he's in me. There's nothing that I can't accomplish with, with, with him being in me. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Of course, I can do nothing, but I'm not without him. He's with me. I can handle this because it's him giving me the power. And it's his fellowship that affects me. He wants to actually have fellowship. He wants me to open the door. He wants to linger with me. Why wouldn't I want to linger with him? It's because we're in the flesh. It's natural. And it's, you know, he knows that we, we are walking by faith. And this world is not conducive to faith. And it's easy because of our weakness. But praise God, he has grace for our weaknesses. And when I think of that, he's still with me. Even though I would have left long ago, I can come back to him and be worshiping him, giving him my heart. And, and when I'm expressing love to him, the love will affect me. And eventually, his love will really empower and give me what I need. And so, how do you delight yourself in the Lord? You abide, you stay. And this is going to affect us. When we talk about a relationship, divine fellowship, one that is that is coming together through a worship to the Lord, a worship of the heart and spirit and in truth, it's going to affect you. You say it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to do what's right. It's not hard when he's touching your heart and he's blessing you and you, you sense his presence. You know, sometimes I say you've got to worship by faith to start with. You've got to stir it up. And there's a place where Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift that is in you. We have to do that. That's part of our faith. That's part of uh, what it takes right now in the natural. But you can get to a time when it's not just you stirring up the gift. You can get to a time when it's God stirring you up. It starts by faith. It starts by abiding, saying, I'm here. And not just coming down for a time of prayer and saying, I'm here, but going out into my day. I'm here, Lord, and I'm looking for you, Lord, and everything, and I know you're with me, and I'm thinking on the love of God and things. I'm stirring myself up by faith, but then there's going, going to be a place in fellowship, in relationship with God, in which he stirs us up, and that's when things get easy. Sometimes it's not easy, but sometimes you'll find a grace that can carry you. Say, I don't know why this isn't bothering me, but I'm, I'm getting through this, and it's wonderful. Thank you, Lord, and then you just you continue to pour out the thanks and he continues to pour it in but my point is is that in fellowship you're going to be affected we talked about last week how worship can be emotional and should be emotional and we ought to let go more in worship i don't mean to become acrobats and doing backflips down the aisle like i talked with wendy before um no you don't have to draw attention to yourself and it can be just in your own personal time with the lord it's fun to get things going in church but if you can't get things going in church, get undignified before the Lord in private because it's an emotional thing. And sometimes you guys stir it up, but once you stir it up, he's going to come in and he's going to affect you. And then it's going to be more uh, a divine thing in which it's empowering, quickening, it's strengthening you. And you say, well, then I go out and I face the day and things are back to normal. No, they're not back to normal. It may feel like it's back to normal, but something has happened. You've had a transaction, a love transaction with God, and it has built something into your spirit. And you are growing. Whether you feel it or not, you are growing, and it's going to play out and is playing out, even when you don't feel it. But I'm saying you should feel it sometimes. 
and I just had a wonderful revelation this week when I was thinking on this. A strange verse in the book of Song of Songs. You know, Song of Songs, how many times do we quote that? But there's a verse in the Song of Songs that's mentioned, actually it's mentioned three times. And uh, let's see, it is uh, verse 2, uh, Song chapter 2, verse 7. And it's, this is the same verse is, is repeated three times through the book. It says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. And I used to read that and think, what is this talking about? What? And it doesn't make sense to me. It's like I'm telling you to stir up the gift, and, and she's saying don't stir up love. And I'm saying love is the key and the power that's going to change your life, but she's saying no, leave it alone until it pleases. And it always used to confuse me. Why is this in here? And I'd read the commentaries, and the commentaries would say, well, he's, she's just loving his presence so much. He, she doesn't want his presence to be startled and take off. And I thought, well, that doesn't explain anything. You know, is that how weak his love is, is that he'd be startled off with the least thing? I don't think that's, that's real powerful love there. So that didn't satisfy. So I'm like, what does this mean? And as I was thinking about delighting in the Lord, and there's also taste and see that the Lord is good, when we get into a time when his presence is sensed, when we, he's always present, but when we sense his presence and that love affects us, it becomes overwhelming. It becomes empowering, overwhelming. It is life-altering. And what I believe this verse is saying is it's not saying don't seek this. It's saying be prepared because love affects you. Love can overwhelm you. Love can... And this, in each context, in each time this verse is mentioned, uh, the Shulamite is saying things like, I'm, I'm faint of heart because I'm so in love. I'm sick. It, the King James says, I'm sick of love, but really it means love sick. It means she's being overwhelmed. She's just, just, just totally consumed by this love. And so this is a poetic expression saying, if you're going to be in love, be prepared. Don't awaken it till it desires. This is, this is going to consume you. And you think about Going back to the young man serenading his, his, uh, his girl, you know, when you're in love, you're consumed. That's all you think about. And she's saying, be prepared. This is the way love is. So I wanted to just bring that out because a lot of times we talk about love as a commitment, and that's very important. Love can be a commitment where you don't have the warm, gushy feelings. You don't feel wonderful. You don't sense everything's great. But it's not just that. There are times when you have to be operating in the commitment mode. But you can't miss out on the experience of the love, the fellowship, the fellowship that the Lord desires of us. He wants that love from us, and he wants to communicate that love to us. You say, well, I just, I just don't know that he really loves me because I never sense it. Well, here's the thing. You can know for a fact without a shadow of doubt that Jesus loves you. And it's simply by the mere reality of the crucifixion. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world, it says. He died on the cross. God so loved the world, he gave us his son. You don't have to ask God for a revelation of his love. He already revealed it. On the cross, Jesus took our guilt, took our pains, took our everything, sins, sicknesses even, 
and died on the cross because he didn't deserve to be there and he didn't he was in no need of any kind of uh, salvation for himself he was there on our behalf for everyone and the precious blood of Christ is your token of God's love for you you can know God's love but do you experience it you you know his love by the crucifixion you experience his love by the resurrection because Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus is alive. He's not like Buddha. He's not like Confucius or Muhammad. He's not like whatever else is back in any other form of religion, any other philosophy, any cult or uh, wisdom teaching or guruship or whatever you call it. You know, everyone is gone from those, those past deals. And whoever is alive today starting something will be gone too. But Jesus died and is still here. He is at the throne, and yet, because of the resurrection, he's in the heart. Because he can be, because he, he, he's still alive, and by the presence of his Holy Spirit, you can have this experience of his love. And it's just by faith, you come by faith and say, yes, I can't touch my spirit, I can't feel it, I can't see it, but by faith I can believe it. And when I believe it, and I start confessing it with my mouth, and it can be confessed in thanks or praises, or just speaking what the word of truth is, if I continue and abide like that, I'm going to sense fellowship from him because he's alive. And that's, that's what he said. His, the, life, the life sap doesn't stop flowing. You know, trees, natural trees will eventually die, and, and uh, you know, you can't exhaust the life sap from this vine because of the resurrection. And we're going to celebrate the resurrection in a couple weeks. And really, the resurrection is the key, the crux of everything to our spiritual lives because we have a resurrected God, a Savior, that we can be in fellowship, in relationship with. And that's exciting when you think about it. You can, you, uh, you can be a branch, as he says in, in this section in John chapter 15, that it doesn't bear fruit and it's tossed aside. How do you bear fruit by being grafted in? And Paul, Paul talks about it in Romans. He said you were grafted in. The Gentiles were grafted in. How much greater will it be when the natural branches are grafted in? The point is, is you have a say. You have a choosing. You can decide to abide. And that's what a lot of people don't think about. It's just, oh, i got to deal with things. You can choose and decide to abide. So now we're going to talk about three places to abide and how this can strengthen us to receive more from the life sap of the vine. The one is the obvious one is love, abiding in love. And I mentioned that last week, that you keep yourselves in the love of Christ. And um, it, it says that in John, what's it, 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. So, experiencing the love, is like I said, it, you can't just conjure up love emotions. But you can decide to abide, and those emotions will come. You can take this on a natural plane. You know, if you're separated from your family, you, you might not have emotions of, oh, I'm missing my family. But if you start to think about them, 
If you look at their picture, it's going to bring those emotions up, and you're going to start to feel. It's what you set your mind up. So when you abide on the love of God, love is of God. Love, what is that love of God that he gave himself for me, that he is with me? And, and it's because of him and that I know him, that love is a better, better prospect for you to be walking in. And the idea is that it's of God, and I'm knowing God. I said that Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oftentimes, we're just delighting ourselves in what he will give us, rather than in himself, the giver. So if you want to strengthen your love walk, abiding in love, get your heart set, your mindset in a place where it's the giver I'm after, it's not the gift. I need the gift, I need the help, I need this, and he'll give it to me, and I can be excited about that. But how can I get excited just about him? Well, I start to decide to abide in his glory, what the Bible says about his glory, about his power, about his love, and, and what he has prepared for us, and just his goodness, just to think of his goodness, how, how he set it up that we can have relationship. I just start to have to look at the pictures. I have to think on the thoughts. And then that love starts to well up. And then there's another key to getting that love welling up. And that's in uh, 1 John 4, 12. It says, if we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. So if you want the love of God perfected in you, love one another. Right? But some people are not so easy to love. I don't know if I shared this with you. I met a guy once. He said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, where do you go to church? He says, I don't go to church. I said, well, why not? He says, well, it's the people. You know, I love Jesus, but the people, I don't care. Wouldn't it be great if there just were no people? Then I, we'd have no problem, right? And I thought about There's a verse that talks about he who does not love his brother walks in, dark, in darkness and not the truth. But here it is. He's missing an opportunity. Yeah, there are hard-to-love people. But if you look at it, if you, you decide to abide in what God has and follow him, if you put out, he's going to give in. It might be an act of faith at first, but you'll find an act of faith might trigger something in which God is starting to stir you up, and you have the love. His love becomes perfected in us. And guess what? If they're harder to love, that's a greater opportunity to grow. There's a greater blessing there, too. There's a greater blessing. And that's why we have church again. Sometimes we have church just as a platform to have grace and to grow in grace for one another. It's much more than that, but that's just one aspect. And that gives me hope. And, and another thing is you look at people and you don't look at, them, look at them as they are. You look at them as what they could be. You put on the disciple goggles and say, what, what would this person look like if they were discipled and they could, get, they could get more like God? And we're all trying to become more like God. And that's the way you do it, by giving of yourself and loving those who aren't quite desirable. That sounds familiar? A little bit? Okay. Now I'm getting sappy again. All right, so there's love, abiding in love. Abiding in grace, I'm not going to say much about that, except that to think about how God made a way and how the, the point of the resurrection, the death, paid for our sins. The price is paid. You don't have to pay the bill. Many of us still hold on to the bill, and we're saying, well, what do I need to do? I still got to do something. No, it's grace, abiding grace. If it ever gets to the place where I'm starting to feel burdened and like I... You know, there's responsibility, and then there's 
just an empty burden. We always have to come back to grace and say, God made the way. God is the way. God is the way in me. And he accepts me. He doesn't just accept me or tolerate me, but he wants my presence. And there's nothing I did to earn that. There's no way I could ever make myself worthy enough to, to get in that place where, okay, I'm good enough now, God. You can take me, and I can have my time with you, and I can expect blessings. I can never get to that. And sometimes, though, it's just easy to get down, weighted down, and just feel like, oh, I'm not good enough, and I'm, I'm just, I can't expect God to bless anything. I told you about our dog last week, how sad she gets when Jennifer's not home. And, and you know, why did she attach herself to Jennifer? And I think it's because this dog came from an abusive situation and was very terrified and nervous when we picked her up. I was driving, so Jennifer was the one that was comforting her the whole time. The nice, pleasant voice, tone, the comforting sound, and, and just must have ministered to this dog. And the dog said, I'm, okay, you're my master. <laughs> All right, but this is the grace of God. We were under the abuse and the, and the, the hits of the law under I'm not good enough and and I can never get things right, and we, we, we might have been slow to come to the Lord. A lot of people don't come to the Lord because they're fearful. Like a fearful dog, they think that he's angry and he's going to whip them or tell them something they don't like. And instead, he speaks kindly to us. Well, I don't hear him speaking. It's the cross. Go back to the cross. He spoke through that cross. What does that mean, that cross of Jesus Christ? What does it mean? You know, you could spend a lot of time abiding there and thinking, what does that mean? Why did he go through that? What did it accomplish? Everything. Acceptance for us in our state. But then even more with the resurrection. And that's the great the grace. How much more those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through one. It's that resurrection grace that we can reign in life with his his life sap working us, working in us. Again, John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but we're not apart from him. If we're abiding in him, he's also abiding in us, and there's power in his presence, and his presence is power in us. Um, abiding in light. This is a real helpful one for me anyway. Maybe it'll be helpful for you, because we face a lot of darkness now out there, and if you're anything like me, you have to fight it off because it's coming upon you like a swarm of flies and, and it starts to mess with your head and starts to mess with your countenance and your mood and you become heavy and you guys don't think I become heavy and down and melancholy because I get up here and I smile for you but I can get really down and heavy and melancholy and at that point I try to force myself to smile because sometimes it, that's the stirring it up and, and it becomes something again lifting up your antennas a spiritual antenna happens when you lift up your hands and you're worshiping. It's, it's like you're giving of yourself. Also, when you lift up your lips and smile, something happens and eventually it becomes more of a natural thing. But it says in uh, 1 John 1, verse 5 through 6, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. So, walking in the light, there's 
I'm going to talk about having that mood and darkness, but first, it's very simple. You have to resist works of darkness. We have to resist the, the moral standards of the world. They're not our moral standards. We have higher moral standards. We have to resist sin. We have to resist temptation. Why? Not because it's a religious thing that we're, we're just going to be holier than the next person. No, it's because we're protecting ourselves. We're, we're protecting our fellowship with the Lord. It's, a, it's an act of worship to resist sin and to resi resist the ungodliness that's out there. So that's one thing. And then when we are in that place, our state of worship where we are abiding in Christ and, we, and we're protecting ourselves, it's not like, oh, I can't do that. There is grace. You're not going to die and go to hell if you, if you give in to something. But it's not going to be beneficial for you, and it could be destructive and damaging. And why do you want that? But God is gracious. And we want that fellowship, that empowering, quickening fellowship, so that we can also abide in the light when that heavy mood hits. So how do you do that? You resist depression. You resist anxiety. You re resist fear the same way you would resist sin. And sometimes it may not be so easy. I, I can get into a moody state, and I'm, I resist this. I'm not, I'm not going to give in to worry and fear. I'm not going to give in to this heavy mood. And somehow, my mind is saying, amen, I agree. My heart's saying, amen, I agree. But my body is still not agreeing. And it's still weighted down, and there's something wrong. It's uh, some spiritual oppression, heaviness. Anybody else experience this? Maybe I'm talking to one or two people out there. And so what's the thing you do? Well, then what's the normal reaction? Well, I'm going to go watch something and distract myself. Or I'm going to pick out the food and start munching on the food and, and make myself feel better. That's the natural reaction, and that's too often the way I think it works when the best response is to say, i got to get somewhere and pray. And usually that will take care of it. But on weightier issues, sometimes that could make it even worse because you get down, you, you're starting to pray, and you're starting to rehearse all the difficulties, and it's just getting more and more. No, that's when we have to decide to abide in the light. No, I, I'm not going to rehearse my problems. I'm not going to think and dwell on this feeling right now. I'm going to get into the light. God is light. And what has he prepared for me? What is the glory, glories of eternity? What, is, what has he purchased for me that I'm enjoying forever and ever? And what is this compared to what he's prepared in the age to come? And I just start getting into that. I have to literally resist fellowship with the darkness. What do I mean by that? Well, I feel so terrible, and Lord, things are so rotten, and I'm just thinking all this stuff. I'm having fellowship with darkness. I have to say, oh, I'm not going to abide in that. I'm going to get myself, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord now. And whatever it takes, I'm going to start to abide there. And that really, I have found to make a difference. You choose to abide in the light. That means you have to be deliberate and intentional about grabbing hold of a truth that's going to cheer you up, that's going to encourage you. Something from the Word. If you need to grab some devotional book and get an inspiring passage, grab it and then take it and then get on your knees and rehearse it over and over again until the Holy Spirit comes and activates it and pushes out that darkness. But I'm not going to choose to reside, abide in that dark fellowship. What has light in common with darkness? 
I'm not going to be yoked with the unbeliever. I'm not going to be yoked with anything of that darkness. And it takes a decision. And it gets easier the more we abide in Christ, the more we're abiding in his word. And we are not just doing the Christian faith from time to time. It is who we are, and we understand that is who we are. And last, you want to abide in under the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91, 1. And I thought about this this week. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What's this got to do with worship? Worship is your protection. Worship keeps your heart in a place where you're not going to be shaken and intimidated by what's shaking and intimidating everybody else at this time. I get, what's, what are we up to? Three banks that have collapsed last week. And what's going to happen next? I mean, it's just one thing. I, first, there's train derailments. Now there's banks collapsing. What's next? We are in a shaky time, if ever there was a shaky time. And it could get pretty brutal out there. It could get worse and worse. We need to be dwelling in the secret place of the Most High so that we're under his protection. And, and God will take care of us, but sometimes we'll feel like we're not protected. We're not under this shadow because we're not dwelling in that secret place and we're getting carried to and fro with the wind like everyone else. We're getting shaken with everyone else because we're not dwelling in the secret place. Well, what is it to dwell in the secret place? What is the secret place? Well, that's the place of prayer. No, it's not just the place of prayer. The secret place is the place of the Spirit. And we are worshiping in spirit and in truth. The secret place is God's place. I in Him in me. And if I'm in him, what's the next line in Psalm 91? I will save the Lord. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. I'm safe in him. But I have to decide to abide, to dwell in the spirit and not in the flesh. To dwell in the supernatural, not the natural. I have to learn to look past the immediate and see the invisible. And there's all kinds of invisible happening around us. You don't believe it? What, how do your cell phones work? There are cell signals that you can't see. Well, there's spiritual signals happening, too, that the Lord is trying to send to strengthen us. But we're dwelling in the not-so-secret place. We're dwelling in the natural and the flesh and the things. We have to get our minds, our hearts honed in and say, I'm a spiritual being. And God is a supernatural, divine being. And he has invited me to take place in his refuge, in his fortress. And not only that, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. How can I lose? I get excited when I'm talking about it. So you got to talk about it to yourself, to others. We encourage each other, and we live in this secret place. They can't see it outside when they look at us. They might not see it because it's in a secret place. We are in a secret place. I used to tell my Chinese students, you are the secret agents of the Lord. We're all hiding in these different places, studying the Bible, hoping no one catches us. There's a time coming when the Lord's going to return, and we're going to be the ones that are springing up. We are the secret. We are the resistance right now. And don't think you're weird or don't think you're, you're uh, second class or second rate because you're so different. You are the ones that are being prepped and groomed and propped up for the, the great reign that is to come. And again, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, Romans 5.17, we can reign even now in life through one, Jesus Christ. But it doesn't happen unless we're looking at things 
and dwelling in the secret place. We're looking with visual, spiritual vision and thinking of ourselves as spiritual beings and not just any spiritual being, but the child of God. What a privilege it is to be the child of God. You mean I can actually be of that stock, of that family? What do I got to do? Believe and just receive and walk in it and worship in spirit and in truth. Get the heart going. When you're sick, you go to a doctor. If your heart is not enthralled with the Lord, go to the Word, but go to the great physician. Don't be satisfied until it's back. Uh, we talk about abiding. You know, when you cook something, you're frying an egg. Well, before I fry my egg, i got to let the pan sit on the skillet for a little bit. It's got to heat up a little bit. I can't just put it off. It's not working. Take it off. We might have to spend a little more time in prayer or reading or, or just thinking. You've you got to give yourself time and let it heat up. But once it heats up, it produces something pretty tasty that Friday. Put a little salt and pepper and paprika on it. That's, that's good stuff. Superfood. And that's the superfood for us. I think letting the Lord do his work and he communicates this fellowship, this divine life sap when we abide, we in him, he in us, when we stay, we remain. And it also means continue. We, so we're going to close the service now and we're going to uh, continue with another song. But then as we finish up, and I'll give another reminder announcement, let's just continue in a state of worship. You can still be in a state of worship and laugh and have lunch and enjoy everybody's company, but you always keep it in your heart. This is who I am. I am a child of God, and I love him. And he means everything. He's the most. He's the important one. And I live for him. Amen.